to a brand new episode of Talking Movies. I'm one of your co-hosts, Rod Sunny. I'm your other co-host, Sam. Thank you for joining us. A lot of trailers to talk about today. Not a whole lot in the review section, so that'll be kind of short. Um, kind of expected this to be a shorter episode as a whole. But let's start with some kind of bad news. Not terrible, but, you know, it is what it is. Dune has been pushed back three weeks, so, you know, not a whole lot of time. But we've already been waiting for this movie for a year, and I think that's just kind of the most disappointing part of it, especially because, you know, it's been ready, it's in the can, it's premiering at film festivals like Venice uh, in August. So, like... I don't really understand what the decision is behind pushing this back to the end of October from the beginning of October. Maybe just to have it fresh in the minds of Oscar voters, you know, Oscar yeah. in November. Yeah, that's a good point. But like, does three weeks from October 1st to October 21st or 22nd or whatever, does that really make that much of a difference you think in terms of Oscar voters? Cause like Joker, this is, I mean, this movie's getting the same release pattern as a uh, Joker and a star is born, each of which was nominated for like 10 plus Oscars or whatever. So like, they know they're going to get their nominations here, I would think. I don't know. Maybe they're trying to uh, make, break a deal of it being a much more exclusive to theaters at the moment. I think they're just make, giving a wiggle room because I don't, I don't think they want it to be just like a HBO uh, right. Max release. Right. And they want people out to go out of their way to go watch it in theaters. Maybe that's why. But yeah, three weeks, I don't know. It doesn't make, it makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, if they're going to push it, at least push it like what they've been doing for another year or so for you know a justifiable reason but three weeks doesn't make sense to me i imagine you and i are probably approaching this movie in the same way in that although it is going to be released on hbo max and i'm guessing a lot of people will be seeing it there you and i will probably end up at the imax theater to go see this thing and then watch it like a yeah. hundred more times at home after the factory right? yeah i'm gonna walk go to the air and space museum and see them in the biggest theater possible yeah, i want same. this to be like an experience yeah same I'm, I'm so excited for this thing uh, and now we have to wait even longer for part two i imagine it's just like <laughs> i just want to see this thing we haven't had a denis villeneuve movie in a couple of years now and it's just like i'm right what was is blade blade runner was the last one right yep 2017 so four years almost oh four God. full years from the because i think that was november of 2017 so this will be october end of october 2021 so long wait between denise movies but we'll get it we're almost there. We've waited this long. I guess we can wait a couple more weeks. Uh, Knives Out 2, movie we've been talking about for a while. I think on a similar sort of front, we're both excited for it, but we haven't been thrilled with the casting announcements. This casting announcement, I guess it's not even an announcement. I guess it's sort of a surprise casting from a set photo that was revealed that Ethan Hawke, it looks like he's on set of Knives Out 2. This was not announced as part of the trade press, so I don't know if he's like a mystery killer, what the deal is, if the whole entire thing was just spoiled by these oh. uh, press photographers. I really don't know what the deal is. I don't know why it wasn't announced, but it, see, and they haven't really confirmed it from uh, Netflix. Uh, so Ethan Hawke has joined the cast, and this is exciting on that front in that he's the name, that he's the kind of name I wanted to see attached to this cast, but are, are, is there any tre- trepidation from your end in terms of this maybe being a possible spoiler? Yeah, I think that the fact that you just said it kind of bums me out a bit because, you know, <clears throat> I'm someone that really hates spoilers. I like to be surprised and, you know, have the experience that directors want me to experience outside of, you know, not knowing what's going what's to happen when you're watching the movie. So it, this being a potential spoiler kind of really bums me out. But, you know, hopefully they, get, they come to an announcement soon and tell us what it is that he's doing or saying that, hey, this guy, he's going to be like a very small, small role. He's not going to be a part of the movie or, you know, Ryan Johnson to do a Ryan Johnson thing and, you know, just uh subvert our expectations and make it so that he says, yeah, maybe this is the killer or you, you'll never know. He'd be like, uh, like playing, playing coy with that. So hopefully they do something to overt the spoiler, but at the moment kind of bummed out. 
I guess we can maybe stay away from it or like not feel as bummed out by that because I feel like if he was going to be the killer, he'd have a bigger role in the movie. So he would have been announced and it wouldn't be a surprise for him to show up. So maybe some sort of cameo to mislead us. Like, I guess that's the sort of positive spin that we can put on this. He's a pretty big name though. I wouldn't think of him to be just in a smaller cameo role. Yeah, that's true. But also like considering he's a big name, you don't think that like if they had announced that he was going to be part of the cast, like, this wouldn't have been a spoiler at all. And like, we would have been fine. We've been going about it. We would have been surprised if he actually was the killer. The fact that they're keeping it secret or it wasn't announced or maybe just the trades didn't pick up on it. Like, I don't know. I, I guess I'm, I'm playing a bit of devil advocate here because I felt like at first he, that was my like initial reaction was that he could be the killer. But then I was like, but like, if he was going to be part of this cast and he was going to be the killer, like he would be in a bigger part of the movie. They wouldn't just pull a big name actor like Ethan Hawke out of their back pocket and just be like, in the last five minutes, oh, this guy's the killer. Like he would have to have a bigger presence. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. I mean, we have to wait and see what this is going to come out to be. Hopefully they come out with a press release soon because mm. what was it? This, there was something that something really similar happened. I think it was with the the Godzilla deal movie deal with HBO or it was either that or the Warner deal where someone like spoiled it online. No, no, it was the one woman thing where like Wonder there was, woman, yeah, there was yeah. one woman, the trailer that came in and then like pretty soon afterwards, they just let, they just let the release the trailer just to, you know, uh, get ahead of the, get ahead of the, I guess the bit of a scandal, but this one, they're, yeah, they're, right. they're, they're, they haven't said anything. No, I haven't seen anything yet. It's only been like a couple hours since it broke. So maybe we'll see something like within the next 24 hours from now. But uh, it is exciting, right? Like, uh, let's let's stay a little bit more positive here. To see a name like Ethan Hawke, like, he could play such a wide range of characters, right? Like, he could be the straight shooter who's just, like, he could be, like, Michael Shannon's character in the original Knives Out. Like, he could be this goofy, wacky, out-of-control guy. Um, I feel like he's the kind of actor that can really slot into any role, the good guy, the bad guy, whatever it may be, and fill that role pretty appropriately. And, you? and, you know, this isn't the last time he's been in Greece because the last time he was in Greece right. was before midnight and shit went down. So <laughs> we, we can expect for shit to go down with Ethan Hawke being in Greece again. I can't wait for this. I really can't <laughs> wait for this. This this was like the announcement that I needed to get me as excited as I now am for Knives Out 2. Um, I'm going to let you sort of run with the news story, the next one. Uh, but we did find out that Made in Abyss, the anime series, is getting a live action adaptation. It's coming from an American producer, but there are Japanese producers involved. Um, this guy is, I, I, Sam and I were discussing this last week when the news broke, I think like right after we stopped recording. And this guy's like producing a live action attack on Titan and Promise Neverland. So he's trying to get a lot of live action anime series or movies off the ground. But like, Made in Abyss, you talked about it on, on the podcast a while ago, and I, I know details of it, but I'll let you sort of take the reins with this one, because weird. Yeah, yeah. So I talked about the movie that came out, I guess it was 2019, 2020, whenever it is, came, that came out in Japan. I got a chance to watch the uh, continuation of the story that uh, came out from the first season. And, you know, I'll say this. This is a pretty, you know, big world that this uh, show resides in. Like, you know, I would think that they, they would need a lot of money, at least like $100 million, because it's so expansive and the monsters in the show are so very unique and you know it's just a large scale and very colorful and you know it's a very well animation like out of like the more newer shows that have come out recently in the the last 10 years of anime with this anime boom this is like one of the more well-regarded shows and people like the show a lot so you know saying that i hope that they do you know bring on individuals that have a lot of respect for the genre and and, and enough respect for it to give it like the proper adaptation because you know even in japan with live actions i know they made an attack on titan live action in a 
Full Metal Alchemist live action, and it wasn't received very well. The CG wasn't great, and you know it pales in comparison to the actual you know anime that they that that they adapted. So, you know, and along with that, this show is you know it's it, it revolves around this little girl who is looking for her mother after like so the whole the whole story is revolved around this abyss that comes in the middle of earth somewhere and the further you go down the more treasures you find but like the if if you come up from a certain level you get like a, a like motion sickness or you know uh, like a fever or something if you go even deeper you could even die so it's like a a bit of a, like an action adventure, but the story rolls on this little girl who's looking for her mother, who's like a legendary explorer of this abyss. And, you know, there's no indication that she's alive or dead after, she, after a recent expedition. And, you know, she doesn't really have much of memory because she was born in the abyss and one of her compatriots went back up to the surface of the world and brought her back. So she needs to find her mother. And um, during her journey, she finds this little cyborg boy that comes from the the pit of the abyss who has no memory of the pit of the abyss so you know it's two children in this you know very colorful very intense world and there is a lot of gore you need to be prepared for if you're going to watch the show in preparation for this for this adaptation you need to be prepared for the fact that this show does not you know hold your hand it's like it's like one of the more it's like a, you know it's similar to attack on titan where it's like you know it doesn't really shy away from the blood and the blood and guts of the of the of the series so you know two things you know it's very expansive large scale very colorful and it's very violent and i guess like with that their hands are sort of tied in that if they tone it down because like you said it's like kids right so if they tone it down you're gonna upset fans of the original series yeah like you know you went pg-13 with this is an r-rated series like that's gonna upset people but in the other route like if you're brutalizing kids on screen like people are not gonna be happy about that what what's like your sort of preferred my, my my preference is to be as as you know i guess i guess delicate is a, is a way to put it but <laughs> they need to be able to do the things that is you know accurate to what we saw on screen for the tv show and you know if it, if it was left up to me i would just say just go for it you know right just right. you know just push the buttons it doesn't matter this is like you know you know the property that you're adapting right you know the reception that it's had the the fans that are the expectations of the fans you know just go for it i mean we haven't seen anything like this in, in you know american cinema ever and you know cast some unknowns make it you know as immersive as possible but it's it's intense i'll say it's intense sure and i guess like sort of an extension question of that is you you mentioned like previous anime adaptations you mentioned some of the japanese ones but we've also had american ones recently like death note and ghost in the shell i think all of the above are sort of critically panned i think Mm. it's fair to say even if you go back as far as like what was it dragon ball evolution or whatever the heck it was called like these movies are pretty consistently panned like is there an anime that comes to mind for you as the sort of anime encyclopedia that you are like that you think (laughs) maybe you know with the right team attached like of course like concept wise some of these movies might have or some of these series might have been primed for adaptation but they didn't have the right team behind it but like is there a concept in anime that you would like to see live action let's for the sake of budget let's say it's hollywood because i understand the sort of whitewashing aspect of it that has been a criticism that leads me to believe that maybe studios will be appropriate in the cultures that they cast and the future decisions that they make because of those past criticisms. And obviously the Japanese uh, cinema industry has nowhere near the budget that Hollywood does. So like, let's say it's a Hollywood adaptation, it's big budget. 
um, what, what's an anime adaptation live action that you might like to see? Off top, I think that's something you would agree with is because of how grounded it is and how, you know, well-written it is, it would be monster because there's mm. no, um, you know, deep, deeply entrenched, like archetypical stuff that is in anime, like, you know, you know, the big breasted women, uh, the, right. the, the power-ups, you know, the very, the, the stuff that people kind of push, push, push people away sometimes very newcomers to anime, like with monsters, just like a pretty much, you know, straight up, you know, uh, a crime drama. And right. this guy, this doctor who's just looking for this, uh, this boy he saved like, like 10 years ago who, be, who ended up becoming a serial killer and he wants to like write his wrongs. I feel like Monster is pretty much prime for a really great like David Fincher adaptation. I was thinking about that too, but I feel like Monster in terms of movie, I don't know if you could do it as a movie because there's so much story in there. I feel like you need like not even like a 10 episode, like you need like two or three seasons because it's, it, it's, it's a 75 episode anime and I can't think of a whole lot that I would pull out because even like the smaller sort of pivots as the story takes where uh, Dr. Tenma like stops off in weird sort of villages to help people like it helps characterize the decisions that he makes as the series progresses and when he comes face to face with Johan like his decisions that he makes in those situations I feel like you can't lose those I feel like you need like two to three 10 episode live action scenes. Well, if we don't care about budget, I would say Psychopaths, another, you know, really great crime drama. Like, you know, you you can, you can like submerge, submerge it into like a Blade Runner aesthetic with a much more um, higher energy, you know, action sequences. Right. Right. And that's like, I feel like people will be attracted to that because people like the sort of neo-noir cyberpunk look. Um, And Mm -hmm. Ghost of the Shell, I know, didn't do all that well at the box office. And neither does Blade Runner, but people like, I mean, cyberpunk, the game is so popular and whatnot. And maybe it might just be because I'm knee deep in the series right now, but I agree with you. I was thinking Psychopaths and more so in that I think that there's enough of those episodes that you can shave out like the sort of side stories. I'm about Mm. three, I'm I'm three episodes away from finishing season one right now. I'm I'm taking my time through it. But there's like, there's a lot of episodes that you can shave out of that to make it like a two to two and a half hour experience. It would be big budget, yes, but I think there's a good story to tell in there, especially in this first season with the villain and how he sort of challenges the state of society. I feel like there's a lot of sort of commentary that you can make in that. And that's something that a lot of people latch on to in a lot of today's movies. I agree with you that Psychopaths could make a very good live adaptation movie off top i would say also afro samurai just give yasuke's story a proper adaptation mm. i think you know giving a period of peace with a you know a, a well-known black actor you know ad- adapting uh you know it could be the anime or it just could be the actual story of yasuke himself but i feel like right. there's 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 a potential there for a good live action um I'm, just, I'm looking through here maybe a mecha series with evangelion could be possible isn't, that, isn't um what's his name the the Kong Skull Island is doing Gundam, right? I believe so. Yeah, I, uh, you have I, to check, I, I have to check on that. Um, let me see here. I'm look. I'm just scrolling through my list, but yeah, there's a lot of potential here. Maybe high, maybe like a sports series like Haikyuu or Slam uh, Dunk could be a possible um, adaptations. But you yeah. know, the best way for Hollywood to adapt anime is by looking for the ones that aren't so anime archetypical heavy like you know with the power-ups and the funky hair and you know with you know the the school settings and all that stuff it's like try to stay away from that and look for stories that are well written and you know something that you could adapt uh, like trying to combine the sensibilities of the american audience while also satisfying the original anime audience and it's, it's a very hard balance to uh to juggle for for studio execs to adapt anime right. 
Right. I see what you're saying. Uh, we'll see. I guess we'll see if this project actually moves forward or not, but we definitely got the announcement last week, so we'll keep our eyes on it. Uh, let's get into trailers, because that's kind of where the meat of the news of this week is. Let's go one by one here. Let's start with Halloween Kills. Um, this also came out, I think, right after we stopped recording last week. Uh, first, I think, proper two-and-a-half-minute look at the sequel. I think we had gotten a teaser before, but this gave us like a real sense of the plot. Looks like it's all going to take place in one night, which I wasn't really expecting. Um, you know, after, if you haven't seen Halloween 2018, spoilers, I guess, spoiler alert, basically the house at the end is burning with Michael inside of it. We knew he was going to escape. We now have an idea of how he escapes, Um I mean, as as a massive Halloween fan myself, like this trailer was everything that I wanted. That I mean, that opening scene with the firefighters and the way he gets out of the house, it just looks like exactly what I wanted out of this movie. It looks like it's upping the ante in terms of brutal violence. Um, it just looks like it's going to be a little bit different from a lot of the other Halloween movies that we've seen. I'm really, really excited in this trailer. I mean... I guess I was a bit hesitant just because I had mixed feelings about 2018 Halloween, but this trailer really sold me on what this movie could be. Yeah, it feels like, you know, from beginning to end, this movie's going to be all out. Like, it's going to be nonstop action and killing and Michael being Michael and, you know, them trying to find ways to kill this guy that they tried killing in this fire, this fire trap that they set up for him in, in the in the end of the last movie. But yeah, this looks really intense. It kind of worries me that kind of showed a lot at, at, in this trailer, but it kind of makes sense to because of how many times it's been delayed and they need to, like, you know, right. re- rejuvenate people's interest in the movie again. Right. Yeah. It's like, do you think that the delay is going to hurt the box office at all? Cause I feel like, you know, they moved it to October and whatnot, obviously it's a Halloween movie. Like I feel like people are maybe itching to go see it. And this is not one of those ones that's going to hit HBO max. So it's not going to have the conjuring effect or anything like that. I feel like this is going to be one of like the big sort of coming out parties. It feels like to me of the cinema returning to its proper form. We're also getting spoiled too, because Dune got pushed October 22nd and this comes out a week before. Yeah, right before it. Those are like, com- I guess they're not competing directly against one another. Right. But like, it's close enough to Halloween, right? Like, uh, Halloween is always released in October, but like, it's close enough to Halloween to where it'll get that boost, like, you know, that f- first opening weekend, and then Dune will come out and it'll probably dip, and then it'll go back up again when when Halloween actually on Halloween day or the day before Halloween or whatever. Uh-huh. I imagine this is going to be a pretty big hitter at the box office. It's a small budget too, so like it'll make a lot of money. Here's a theory that somebody said to me in my movie group chat. They said that Lori might die in this one, and the third one is them getting vengeance for Lori, and that's mm. like the, the cap for the for the series. I would like that. I would like that. Kill off like your main character and go down a completely different route. Leave us kind of unpredictable for the third one. That's what I would like to see out of this one. It would like it would stretch the muscle of the the franchise. That I, I think this franchise does a lot different in terms of the movie by movie. I know it follows a similar formula, be, like you know, all the way through the through line. But like I think it does a lot different in terms of, like the twenty eight Halloween twenty eighteen Halloween like you know explored PTSD and did that whole like podcaster thing and all that. So <laughs> David Gordon Green is definitely trying to do something different with this franchise, and I could see that being a risk that he's willing to take. It's also called Halloween Kills, so like maybe that like you know the cards are sort of in the title there. Yeah, they're I, really I upping the ante for this, and I'm really considering how bloody and gory the first one was. I'm really curious mm. to see how they up the ante with the second one. No, same. Uh, let's get into the many saints of Newark. I'm going to let you run with this since you just finished The Sopranos. Well, yeah. So this is a series that's based on Tony Soprano's upbringing and the way that he got into the mafia and the people that, you know, pretty much mentored him. When I was, you know, finishing watching the show, they talk a lot about Dick Moltisanti, um, Chris's father and how he was like a huge impact on Tony. And, you know, watching the trailer, I thought that they were going to 
you know, I'm going to kind of go away from Tony's character and focus more on Dick Moltisanti and his father. But, you know, this is a pretty big role for his son to be playing his father's most iconic role. I mean, and I talked about it when I was reviewing the, reviewing the episode being that Tony Soprano is like one of the greatest, you know, characters that we've seen on television. And, you know, Gandolfini portraying Tony Soprano is like one of the greatest acting um, performances I've ever seen in my entire life. So having him have that weight of the character was enough for him in a smaller role that I was expecting to see out of this trailer. But him being like pretty much the like the, the main character and you know having Dick Moltisanti be his mentor and just see the upbringing and like the the way that Tony Soprano was brought up in the mafia, it it kind of changes the dynamic a bit of how this movie could turn out because you know this is his first role and you know it's. On, on the heels of his of his father's legacy he has a lot going for him but the trailer itself i mean it has, it has the same aesthetic and vera farmiga looks so much like um like lydia uh tony soprano's mother and you know it's really crazy to see how they did that and you know i'm really curious to see how how her role shapes up because she's like a an a-lister herself but the trailer itself looks really good i'm really excited to see this and i'm really curious to see how tony soprano's son um you know does Tony Soprano, or not Tony Soprano, Gandolfini's son does Tony Soprano. What do you think about the rest of the cast? Because there are some names that I guess I recognize and I, I knew where they were from, but there were a lot of like sort of, it seemed like people that I didn't recognize in a lot of this. So is that like, where are you at all? Or like, if there are people that you recognize that maybe I didn't catch? Well, like No, because when I was watching The Sopranos, I didn't really recognize anybody. I mean, Leslie Odom Jr. and John Bernthal being in this surprised me because those are much more well names when you compare the names from the original right. times, from, from the original Sopranos series. So it doesn't, it kind of, it's kind of pretty, it's pretty consistent if you um, consider how, uh, you know, the the original Soprano series shaped out with like very much, pretty much everyone was an unknown in that series. Right. I think the one that I'm most excited about is the guy who is, I don't know who the character is. I don't know how he's going to like sort of, I guess he's one of the Moltisanti guys that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, Alessandro Nivola though, he was the guy who was in a lot of the trailer interacting with Soprano. Um, mm -hmm. He's a really good character actor and he hasn't done a whole lot. But um, he was in that movie. I don't remember the title of it, but it was the Rachel Vice, uh, Rachel McAdams love love oh, story. Disobedience. Disobedience. Yeah, he was really good in that. He played the husband character in that movie. He he's been in a lot of stuff that I really like him in, and I haven't seen him in a role of well, this caliber. One pretty big name was Ray Liotta, just you know being pretty consistent right, yeah. with, the, with the mafia genre. That one was yeah. fun to see. I didn't know he was you in need this movie. That. You need, you need somebody like that because you're not going to get a De Niro or anybody like that for this movie, but Ray Liotta, I guess, would be the next best thing to, to sort of fill that mobster role. Um, I, li I like this trailer. I don't really have much to add because I haven't seen the series, but I think it looks good, and it's another sort of feather in the cap of me saying, like, all right, I need to get around to Sopranos eventually because it just seems like it's a lot of fun, a really good series, and you've, you basically touched on everything there. Uh, let's close out with Shang-Chi real quick. Um, another sort of Marvel entry, Daniel Destin Cretton is direct, or Destin Daniel Cretton. I always mix that up. Is directing this one. Uh, Simu Liu is the main character. I haven't really seen him in anything, so I don't know what his sort of acting capabilities are. We talked, I think, uh, briefly about that first look that we got at Shang Chi. It was like a shorter teaser trailer, but uh, I'm really, really sold on this one now. It just seems like Marvel's doing different stuff, and I know I've like been hard on Marvel up to this point but like each one of their trailers that have come out now i've said i've said like this looks like it's gonna be different and i'm hoping that it keeps keeps that up with the like the next trailer that we get and whatnot because i'm, I'm actually excited for it now yeah i was pretty wary of it because you know the first trailer didn't really sell me on it and i was you know pretty much underwhelmed by the other 
Marvel TV series that have come out with Falcon and the Winter Soldier and WandaVision. I just didn't really like those shows that much. But this this trailer really sold me because, you know, the main thing, the main selling point being it's like a confrontation between uh, father and son, which is something that we haven't really seen in Marvel movies because most of the Marvel characters have lost their family members. Right. So seeing seeing that, you know, that legacy kind of deal and having um, Shimulu's character, Shang-Chi, um, it's a, just just have the same power that his father did and have the responsibility and just kind of trying to live up to that but him not being accepting of him him wanting to live his own life and then just pairing them themselves off with a you know a high octane marvel series or marvel movie is very exciting to me and the one huge thing uh i don't know how they're going to balance this but abomination was in this trailer and abomination being the the villain in the hulk one with a uh, edward norton I did was, not even know. I did not notice that at all. <laughs> yeah, he was like, it was, it was really quick too. It was the, uh, the cage scene. They were fighting in the cage. Oh, okay, okay. And you see the, yeah, you yeah. see the huge hulking figure. That was abomination. They confirmed it already. Yeah. So they're bringing yeah. the. So now it's not like a completely new thing that they're doing. They're kind of you know incorporating uh, characters from movies that have already come in the past. So that's mm. just that's something really cool to see. Yeah, uh, I'll like sort of take it from the route that you talked about his parents. And I'm just glad that it looks like, I don't know if Michelle Yeoh is playing his mom or a separate character because I'm not familiar with the backstory of Shang-Chi. But mm-hmm. Michelle Yeoh and then, yeah, the father character being played by Tony Leung, who's like a, one of the biggest actors in China. Um, obviously uh, a frequent collaborator with Wong Kar Wai. So like one of the most respected actors, I think, in world cinema and Aquafina's there. Like they got a really good cast surrounding this guy and people familiar with him, I think from some of his TV work, but I just, I personally don't know a whole lot of the stuff that he's done, mm-hmm. but like those supporting actors that are around him have me just as excited. And he looks like he's going to be really good in the lead and the movie just looks exciting. Like it looks like it's going to be really cool cultural exploration. Um, it's going to tap into a lot of what Marvel's done in the past, but you know, pivot a little bit from it and change it up a little bit. It just looks like a really good movie. Yeah. And obviously Justin Daniel Cretton is a proven director with short term 12 and just mercy. Like one, I feel like it's one of the most underrated directors working today. I'm really excited to see how super powered martial arts go. Yeah. Right. It's going to be interesting. And it's sort of like, it's feeding from the stuff like that Michelle Yeoh has done in the past, but changing it up enough too to where it seems like exciting. Destin Daniel Cretton's also doing um, Tokyo vice with alongside Michael Mann. Um, which I'm excited for. So he's doing a lot of bigger projects now, and I'm excited for him to expand out of the indie world of Short Term 12. So we'll, we'll talk about that more when it comes out, I believe in November? No, September. I think that's a September release this year. So not too far now. Um, let's go ahead and get into reviews. Sam, what did you get to watch this week? Because I didn't watch anything except well, for one episode of Psychopaths per day. <laughs> well, I finally got a, actually started Loki. I forgot to talk about it like a couple of weeks ago when I started it. And, you know, you know, I've been pretty much writing pretty hard on uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier and WandaVision. I feel like the reason I didn't like those shows that much is because I didn't really care about the characters. They very much felt like side characters throughout the entirety of their appearances in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and then just thrusting them into their own primary role into their own series is why I couldn't really attach myself to those but Loki with Tom Hiddleston is like one of the most if not the most popular well the most popular villain one of the most popular characters from the Marvel Cinematic Universe and you know I was pretty much uh, attached to it from the first episode I think they did a really great job the concept seems really fun you know the, with the loki i guess you know using the uh what's it what's the one the blue one i don't know what it was called those the space stone and the tesseract 
the Tesseract, thank you, from uh, Endgame and him just escaping from that and them picking up the story exactly where it left off in Endgame and, you know, just going from there and having, a, I guess, this time authority and just holding him accountable for his crimes of being like a quote-unquote variant and someone who could pretty much, you know, destruct like this, the quote-unquote sacred timeline. And then pairing himself off with Owen Wilson, they have a great rapport with each other in the TV show. I haven't watched the new episode um, from this week, but they've been going with episodes every Wednesday, so i got to watch that real quick. But I'm having a lot of fun with this one. How, like, because we talked about, like, when the trailer came out that it looked, like, very different from a lot of the other stuff that we had seen before, like, how different actually is it, or does it feel like it's sort of following a similar formula to the other series that you've watched? It feels pretty consistent in regards to the setup for, like, the past Marvel movies, but the TV shows kind of, uh, I wouldn't say it's very similar at all, but I, the from the reception from this new episode, it kind of goes, they've been, they've been using this word Lynchian with how, and uh, well, mm-hmm. I'll get into Lynch real quick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think from so far from what I've seen, they've been, it's been, you know, pretty, um, pretty linear, you know, it's pretty consistent with like the, the, the quality of the, of the movies. Um, take that as you may, I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of the movies, but you know, this is a really good series so far and I'm really glad that I got a chance to attach myself to a, a series that Marvel has made for their, you know, one of, one of their more iconic characters. Right. Cool. Sounds good. What else? And I finally started Twin Peaks and, you know, going into it, this is like my first time I've like watched Lynch, uh, David Lynch ever. And uh, going into it, I was expecting it to be like, you know, this very surreal, very dense, very hard to grasp TV series that came out in, back in 1990 before we were even born. And it being like, you know, I guess the forefather of the golden age of television because it came out before like the Sopranos and Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones. Like, you know, this is like the show that everyone talks about that, you know, pretty much set the standard for very heady, um tv um i'm i guess like six episodes in the first season and i didn't expect the show to be a soap opera it's very easy to grasp the surrealism is just something that happens within the mind of dale cooper and you know it's something that and the the score i i really don't like the score at all i'll say that it just feels amateurish it feels very soapy the characters feel like you know they come out of like a a daytime television program and you know i think his name is kyle mclaughlin who plays dale cooper the main fbi agent yeah he's the reason why i'm watching the show so far because he has this intrigue to him that you know doesn't doesn't feel like a a copy and paste archetype from these other um programs from the 90s i guess you could say and i i looked it up i didn't want to look up too much because i wanted to see where the the story would um take off from there but lynch was pretty much genuine in, in his execution it was like it wasn't a commentary on soap operas it wasn't some you know genre bend and you know throwing people for a loop um i think you know this, this is just Lynch's take on the soap opera genre and him applying his own sensibilities to it along with, you know, co-creator Mark Frost. The reason I just thought I wanted to watch because, you know, Lynch being one of the much more, you know, uh, respected individuals and one of the more niche individuals in cinema. And, you know, the reception for the return, the second season that came out, I guess, three, four years ago, the critics I follow on Twitter were really high on it. And I was really curious about it. And I know everyone was talking about the show that came back uh, um, 30 years ago. You know, I got, I have to like watch it at some point. It's the same way with the Sopranos that I saw over the, or um, over these past few months. And, you know, I finally got a chance to watch it six episodes in. I wouldn't say I don't like it, but I'm hoping that it, 
um, detract from its current formula and from the, from the first season to the second season and, you know, kind of mm. takes off from there because it's okay to me. Okay. I think that's like sort of the case with Lynch in general. Cause like when you say like, this is my first Lynch, like I don't even know if there's an easy access point for Lynch. Cause I've only, <laughs> I've only seen Mulholland drive and I'm like, I'm lukewarm on it. I think I reviewed it on the podcast a few months back, but like, it's okay. I think Lynch is just, you like him or you don't. I don't really know if there's like a middle ground with him, Right. but you, I guess you have to respect the fact that like he's original, like he tells original stories, he tells different stories and like whether or not it lands for you, he's not, you know, getting lost in the studio system and doing something that is just churning out the same thing over and over and over again. He doesn't work a lot either. So like, I don't know what his deal is with terms like money and all that stuff. Like, I don't know if he just made a lot of money off Twin Peaks and didn't need to work after that, but like he doesn't work a whole lot. So like, I don't know, I guess I would say like, does this feel like, you're mixed on it. Does it feel like a good access point to David? Yeah, it's, it's very accessible because of what I said, I was like expecting it to be very, you know, dense and surreal and it just like not explain very various points about this, about the series. And there is weird stuff about it. Don't get me wrong outside of like the dream that the dreams that Dale Cooper has. Um, and I would say because it's so, I guess, straightforward as a way to put it, I think it's a good access point for people who are looking to get into Lynch. Okay, cool. And you said Loki's kind of lynchy, and so like, is it like? Well, well, they, they they described this new episode that came out this past. Ah, uh, okay, lynch. okay, I got gotcha. you. So uh, I don't, I don't know if I'm gonna check out Twin Peaks anytime soon. If I'm being honest with you, I'll I'll, I'll tell you. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm taking it slow because it's not really gripping, and I'm not watching it like episode after episode. Right. Um, it's I think the first season is like 18 episodes, and then okay. the second series is like 10. I think uh, okay. I'll say this the pilot episode is feature length which threw me for a loop uh okay so it's like two hours it's a, almost it's an hour and a half long oh wow okay that's intimidating for like to open a series that's weird like that like that's intimidating I can understand why that might like throw you I'll, off I'll, I mean if you like shows like Law and Order and Grey's Anatomy mm. if you want something weirder apply to those um I guess series mm-hmm. um watch Twin Peaks I guess because okay this is the first time I've seen a series like this that's kind of soapy. Um, I'll, I'll wait and see how it turns out. Okay, cool. I'm interested to hear what you have to say about it later on. Um, I didn't watch anything this week. Like I said, just one episode of Psycho Pass a day because NBA playoffs have been going, so I just haven't really had much time. But uh, I started reading Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the novel, uh, written by Quentin Tarantino himself. Uh, it's good. It, it's I'm not too far into it now, but it's it starts off even different from the – movie like the it starts off in uh schwartz's office and not in the restaurant so like i think the way that tarantino approached this in that he tried to form this like the books of movies that used to come out back in the day where the writers would get the shooting script of the book i heard him talk about this in an interview and they would write the book based off the shooting script so this movie would actually be a little bit different from the book because obviously they changed stuff up stay, they changed stuff up in production so like you're already seeing a little bit of sort of differences from right from the get-go of the book to the movie. Um, but this is like slowly becoming one of my favorite Tarantino movies. So I was just really excited to dig into the book and apparently answer some questions about like Brad Pitt's backstory and whatnot. Um, a little bit Manson, a little bit extra Manson in there. So I'm just excited to get those additional details added to this. And like Tarantino, I think more than even being a director, he's like sort of known as a writer. Like he's obviously won his Oscars for writing. So it's just cool to see like his words on the page and be able to digest them that way. So I'm only like a chapter in, 
So I'm really not that far, but I just wanted to talk about that since I hadn't watched anything. Apparently, uh, there was this, uh, this kind of follow called Culture Crave who, like, you know, talks about, like, pop culture and, you know, movie news. I think he was on Joe Rogan recently because there was this tweet that says, Quentin Tarantino says the critics of his Bruce Lee portrayal in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood can, can quote-unquote, go suck a dick. And the, <laughs> and the source was Joe Rogan. So, you know, yeah, Tarantino doesn't that. give a shit. And he's just going to do what he wants. Yeah, he's Tarantino. Like he doesn't need to <laughs> succumb to anybody. He's he's brushing off his haters. He only has one movie left, so he's just like, I'm gonna make my last movie and I'm out of here. Oh, did you hear about that? He said he's open to um uh casting Maya Hawk. Right, in Kill Bill Three. I Kill did Bill I did three, read about if, that. Yeah. If if it if it becomes to fruition. I don't I don't want him to do that. I want him to do something original. original. I want him to I want him to do a different story to close out his, his I would I would lo- I would love a director like him to have at least have a trilogy under his belt at least. I wish I wish Once Upon a Time was his last movie. Like I wish he had done something before Once Upon a Time and then Once Upon a Time next year. And mm-hmm. so like I wish he had capped like it just feels like the perfect end place for his career. But obviously that's not going to happen. I'm interested to see what his last movie is. But uh, in the in the sort of meantime, while you're waiting for whatever announcement for whatever Tarantino's next movie is going to be, uh, definitely pick up this book. It's worthwhile. Um, and then I'll just talk quickly about Braving the Elements. Since you're an Avatar fan, you turn me on to Avatar. This is the podcast. <laughs> as the sort of first um, thing that's launched under Avatar Studios. It's by Nickelodeon. Um, but they have Janet Varney, who's the coast, uh, who is the one of the co-hosts and Dante Bosco. So the voices of Zuko and Korra are the co- the hosts of this podcast. Um, I didn't listen to the first episode because it was recapping episode one of the series. So they're going to be like watching one episode at a time. I'm not doing my rewatch right now. So maybe I'll come back to it. Hmm. But they did uh, episodes two and three of the podcast were a full in-depth interview with the creators of the show. And I'll just like a- a more as a recommendation, if you're a fan of Avatar, um, it's worth listening because they if you've listened to interviews with them about the creation of the show in the past, you know, the backstory of how avatar came to be. And they don't do a lot of interviews, a lot of press or anything like that, but this is more them being like in a comfort zone. Cause they're working with their voice actors. They're telling stories they haven't told before about the creation of the series. So I would just say like, hmm. if you've listened to those podcast interviews where they've talked about creating avatar, or there's also that like 30 minute documentary, um, things called like something spirits, avatar spirits or something like that. Um, then you kind of know the backstory. This will add like layers to that. If you haven't seen or heard any of those interviews, I would say check out the backstory of Avatar first, learn how they got the job and then come back around to this interview. I don't know if you're going to listen to it. I'll add on to that. If you're really interested on the backstory of Avatar, read the art book. Cause there's the, like, Oh yeah. They talk about that in the interview. Actually, there's a lot of tidbits and in information of their inspirations and how they came together and how they met, how they met and their inspirations. And uh, I said inspirations twice and, <laughs> and you know, the things that influenced them to create this, you know, one of the greatest, series of all time you know full stop and i'm really curious yeah i had no idea they were creating something like this yeah i think it's like sort of maybe to hold fans over as they're continuing to write and whatnot but they i mean they said that they're like full like sort of knee deep now and whatever their next project is they didn't give any details about it obviously but like it's coming so avatar studios is a real thing it's producing content we're just now playing the waiting game in terms of announcements. I think a movie is supposed to be the first thing that's going to be heading into production this year. And then maybe next year or the year after we'll be getting that movie. Was this the podcast or the interview where they talked about the things they wanted to change from the original series? Cause I linked yeah. you into an article this morning and he was like, yeah, I saw, I saw that they had an interview. Yeah. So I, yeah, I had already listened to the interview before 
I listened to it last week when it came out, actually. And so oh. that, that the headline is kind of misleading. What they're talking about in the interview is that Janet Varney is saying, like, you know, the series is perfect. And they're like, well, no, it's not really perfect. There's obviously, but they were like saying it more in the context of as a creator, you obviously have timelines and you have to get things in production. And there's things that you want to get done that don't always get done. Like, mm. you know, little art, like, you know, there'd be a frame where Aang's arrow is missing or something like that. Like little things like that. It's not really like, serious huge, huge story points that they want yeah, to change no no they i mean because they had the whole entire three seasons mapped out before the series even started so they they got to do pretty much everything that they wanted to do in terms of story because it was in that big pitch med- meeting where they went to nickelodeon studios and pitched the series they had the entire thing mapped out from there and like i know they talked about how like they gave like a three-hour pitch or something and the guy was like i was like, on board in the first five minutes i just wanted to hear the rest of the story so like they had the entire series mapped out and I don't think that like in terms of major story points, it's not that it's like little like, like, animation they, they, details. They, have, but they haven't talked about Z- Zutara. No, they, they, <laughs> they actually, they, they minorly addressed that also in this interview. It's a really good interview. Like I said, for Avatar fan, I, after I watched the series last year, last summer, I seeked out like every interview that I could find, but there was only like two or three places where they told the story. Mm-hmm. And so like when this podcast was coming out, I assumed because it was under Avatar Studios banner that they were going to get interviews. And I know like in the episode one, cause I listened to like the intro of episode one um, before I realized it was a recap. Like they said, they're going to get other actors and writers and animators and stuff on the podcast for interviews and stuff like that. So I'm definitely going to be, I'm, I'm already subscribed to it. I'm, I'm going to be listening to all those episodes, but this was like, this was the big one that I was waiting for. So I'm glad they got it off early i think it's funny i think they're kind of trying to tease their their fan base by having the voice actor guitar and voice voice actor zuko have a podcast together because of that it's like a huge thing in the fandom where they want like zuko and guitar to be together as opposed to uh guitar did i say guitar no it's uh zuko and cora sorry if i said guitar oh i think i I misheard you okay never mind no worries no no worries yeah but like either way it it is because like they also addressed the cora asami um thing the, whole uh, detail of the reception to that yeah. as well so like that it, it's cool it, it's cool little tidbits and they give they're comfortable giving more information because the interviewers are the voice actors um dante bosco has a tiktok page and i remember like a couple i guess like a couple years ago i guess i want to say uh mm-hmm. there was one that went viral hit with him talking about how i mean he's like ordering something like a starbucks he's like he's like yeah can i get like a double macchiato or whatever it is i don't order coffee right. and uh like like the the cashers would be like he's like are you zuko <laughs> and he's like he's like i was like he's like uh yeah and then he's just like he goes on to a spiel about the story about people recognizing his voice when he talks yeah i need to watch that i mean greatest character one of the greatest characters ever written i think i think we yeah, both agree on absolutely. that absolutely yep yeah but definitely check out braving the elements especially for that interview which- and I'll say this, I forgot to watch Fast 9 because I just got busy, then I got the COVID shot and I got really sick. Um, mm-hmm. I'm feeling better now. I was supposed to watch it today, but mm-hmm. my car did not want to start, so I couldn't drive to the theater. What are the odds? It. What are the odds you can't drive to see Fast 9? <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I'll watch it tonight or maybe I'll watch it tomorrow so I can review it for the next episode. All right, and I will not be watching Fast 9. So <laughs> that'll bring us too close for this episode of Talking Movies. Thanks for joining us. Sam, let people know where they can find you online. You can find me on Twitter at Sam Zero So and on Instagram at Sam Osorio, O-S-O-R-I-O. Find me at RodSod236. As always, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Share with your friends and family. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, and all the other popular platforms. We'll be back disputing next week over whether or not Fast and Furious is actually a good franchise. So come back and join us then. <laughs>